Uh, if you have been here the last few weeks, um, I have been working on a series that we're doing with our students. My name is Marshall, pastor of Family Ministries. We're doing a series called Release Your Worship, and it's just these accounts where people meet Christ through Scripture, and as a result, what they do changes. The results in their life change because they've met Christ. I want to look today at one of the most prolific writers in the Bible, probably one of the most well-known because of his testimony by this inspired word. It's so significant to us as Gentiles and to the Jews, but we're going to look at the conversion of Saul, one of the probably greatest stories in human history. He was such a unique human, so if you don't know much about Saul, I'll treat you like some of our students. Maybe you don't. We're going to give you a little bit of background on him. Saul was by birth, he was a Jew. By conviction, he was a Pharisee. By citizenship, he was Roman. By education, he was Greek. By practice, he was a lawyer. And by God's grace, later, he's a Christ follower. Saul was converted to Christianity, to to Christ follower. But before before that, he was a renowned Jew, meaning that he would have known about the coming Messiah. He would have known the scriptures front to back. He knew about God, he knew about God's character, but he didn't really understand God's heart. And I say that because the Old Testament points to Jesus, it points to the coming Messiah, and he seemed to have missed that. But Saul's entire life changes when he literally and figuratively meets with Jesus. But let's go back, let's just understand who Saul is exactly. He is a well-educated religious man, a lawyer, and he was on his way to becoming part of the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin was 71 Jews that would overlook um, Jewish life and Jewish religion. And he was on his way to becoming one of those Sanhedrin. He was actually present at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen, a young man who proclaimed who Jesus was, spoke truth, who was stoned to death. And he was the one that held the garments for those who would throw rocks. And he approved of his execution. We can see that in Acts 8. Saul was given authority to chase after disciples and followers of the way. The way would be the original Christians. He was given authority to chase after, to bound up, to bring to prison and or to execute or kill at times Christians because of what they believed in Jesus Christ. Most of the things I read would make you think he was a fairly bad dude. He wasn't a great guy. We don't think of murderers as great people. But practically, like for the religious at the time, he, he was a holy man. And this action would have made him like a righteous man. In his opinion, these who were following Christ or followers of the way were blaspheming. They were following a false god, so he was called on a holy mission to kill. Let's read with Acts. If you can open up to Acts. We're going to look at Acts 9. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you under the chair. Acts 9. We're going to read actually a bunch today. We're going to go in chunks here. Let me read Acts 9, 1 to 9. But Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. Seven, 
and the men were traveling with him, stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither, neither ate nor drank. Here's what's crazy to me when we look at this account of Saul. He was so confident in what he was doing that it was right, that it was holy, that it was justified, that he's willing to kill people. He was so confident in, in what he was doing that he's willing to imprison people of another belief. See, Paul knew, or Saul knew a lot of the scriptures of this, and forgive me, I'm going to say Paul a lot. I'm trying not to. Save that for the end. Saul. I read the back of the book. It's, so Saul is, is, is confident in what his scriptures say, so much, in fact, that he's willing to imprison, but he doesn't know his word enough. He doesn't know God's heart or his methods enough. He knows the religion, but he has yet to know the Messiah. Right? Like, he knows, he knows his religion, but he's totally missed the Messiah. So this, this, is, this is an awesome, it's, a, it's called the road to Damascus. If you don't know that, that's kind of like an expression, a way that some of us come to a faith in Christ. It's this road to Damascus experience. So he's on his road to Damascus. It's literal for him. He's walking to Damascus. His whole purpose is to shut down Christians, to stop it. He's gotten permission from the Sanhedrin, from the Pharisees in Jerusalem to walk to Damascus or to ride his donkey and to shut down in Damascus Christianity that is starting to rise. And then something in the middle happens. Something incredible happens where Jesus, this is after his death, after his ascension, Jesus comes and has this conversation with Saul. And I, I, I love this because we see, we see the grace of God. Listen, folks, we see the grace of God through deep rebuke and correction. But for us, we look at the story and we're like, oh man, that's grace. I mean, what God could have done to Saul that was murdering Christians, but we see rebuke, we see correction, but we see grace clearly. So Saul thought, as he read scripture, as he read the Torah, as he, as he understood it, Saul thought that he could see clearly and plainly the truth, enough so much that he was convicted to imprison and kill. But he was blind, like remarkably blind. In fact, he writes this later. If we look at 2 Corinthians 4, he writes this later. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Listen, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So he's actually lived this life. He's writing that because he's like, I was blind. I, I, I couldn't see who Jesus was. I couldn't see the picture of the cross. I couldn't understand it. And he's writing with this warning, like, if you don't know, you're, you're actually blind. You're unable to see. So Saul's lived through this blindness. And while he can physically see in this moment, meeting with Jesus, he can physically see. He's completely blind to the truth. In all these accounts that we've been going over with our students and some with you, we can see that Jesus always does something fascinating that goes against what we would think. This one is just awesome. He, he actually, to heal, takes away. He takes away his sight. For the, for the sake of God's glory, for the sake of Saul's heart, he takes from him. Like in the, in the picture of the bleeding woman or the picture of the woman with the evil spirit who is bent over, the picture of Bartimaeus the blind, 
Jesus heals and restores. He gives immediately, and as a result, they worship God. But for Saul, he does something remarkably different. He actually takes away from him. He takes from his life as part of the healing process. God does things so differently. How many times do we see when God has taken from our lives or something has happened to us or we have loss that we see this as part of a healing process? I'm going to read a little bit more from this account. If you have your Bible open, still in Acts 9, look at 10 to 14 with me. Now there is a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to a street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man named Tarsus, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias, come, lay, come in, lay his hands on him, so that he may regain sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. I'm going to pause there just, just to kind of like get a good picture of Saul's character, how dangerous he is. Ananias has a vision from God where he's interacting with God. I haven't had this a lot in my life. This seems fantastic. He's interacting with God and God gives him some instructions, but Ananias is like, hold the boat. Just, just pause for a second. In a vision, he's actually wrestling with God. He's interacting, but he's wrestling, pushing back against what God has asked him to do. He's like, but ju just so you know, God, not sure if you've kept up on the info. This guy's a bad dude. He's, he's actually, he's killing Christians. And I don't know if you know this, but he actually has the authority. He's talking to God about who has authority. Fascinating. He's talking with Jesus, with God about who has the authority. He says, he has the authority from chief priest to bind all who call in your name. I haven't had visions in my life, but I have had callings. Christian, maybe, maybe in your life you've had callings similar to myself. Or even, I'll, I'll be honest, the call to come here was a wrestle. I remember I, I was working for the government for years. I worked for the federal government. I worked for the local municipal government housing. And I remember getting this call, hey, are you interested in being a youth pastor? <laughs> no. Two things. I don't think you want a 38-old youth pastor at the time. Secondly, that's not the trajectory of my life. That's not like the, that's not the, I wanted to be in Muskoka, by the way, but I didn't want this. That's not an offense. God changed my heart dramatically. I'm sorry if it comes that way. It's just not what I wanted. It's not what I wanted. I'm okay to say that now, but God had this, this idea, and he's like, you, you actually don't get a say in this. And what he does, this is fantastic, he actually works on your heart and transforms and shifts your heart to do what he's calling you to do. With the readiness, because after I get the call, I call back and say, well, let's just talk. And I remember riding home on my motorcycle, like crying, like a big dude bawling on his motorcycle, going home. I'm thinking, God, what, how am I supposed to tell my wife I'm going to be a youth pastor? It's going to be terrible news. And I'm, I'm, I'm just like, God, like you went to Joseph on behalf of Mary. Can you go to Megan ahead of time and just tell her? And he's working on my heart this whole time. So, well, but there's, there's this wrestle I had against God, like this, this, this thought, like, what, what am I going to have to give up? What am I going to have to release? What, am I, what about the dreams or had or hopes I had? Those things I have to, like, kind of start putting aside if this is what you're calling me to do. So God's response is amazing here because he did the same thing to me that he does to, to Saul, he said, or to Ananias. He says, go. So the first thing is, it's a sweet command. No, stop, stop. Go. 
But then he follows it up with a little bit of an explanation. Let's read Acts 9, 15 to 16. 15 says, but the Lord said to him, go. Then he gives this explanation, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. How much he must suffer for my name's sake. Following Jesus is hard. If I were to make points, I'd put point one. Following Jesus is hard. It rarely in our lives, if you are, listen, if you are a Christ follower, following what Christ says to do, it rarely gets easier in our lives, does it? It's nice here on Sunday mornings, but when we leave, it should be exhausting and tiresome. I mean, we might not get blinded literally like how Saul was, but we're definitely going to suffer from a wide range of negatives, things that the world would see as negative for the sake of following Christ. And sure, he was blind for a few days, but his life changes dramatically. Dramatically. Let's just, I'm just going to read this to you. I'm going to read how significant his life changing. And I want to get you a picture right beforehand. Saul is on top of the Jewish authority. He has authority to go in prison and draw chains for people that are Christ followers. He has money. He has education. He has wealth. He has a good job. Things are going really well for Saul. Really well. And then Jesus happens. Everything changes. And what the world sees as really well might change. Let's listen to this. This is, um, oh, I've lost my spot. Here it is. 2 Corinthians 11. This is well after he's writing this to the church. 2 Corinthians 11, 23, 28 says this. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received lashes from the Jews of 40 lashes minus one. And just to pause there from my understanding from reading, 40 lashes was, was the one that would cause death. So they do minus one to make it as bad as I can without actually killing you. So I was lashed five times, 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from the rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, and danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep, I have known hunger and thirst. I have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I see, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Wow. What was his story before Christ? I don't think it was that. And I got to say this, this is a, this is so fantastic and bizarre. And I'm going to have a hard time saying it, but I just preached this message to our students on Wednesday. And I'm walking through the dangers of following Christ. I don't know if you know our our world, if you've turned on a TV or turned on the radio, but I'll say this, as a high school student, life is hard, harder than any of y'all have had it. It is a hard season, but if you want to toss in being a Christian student, it's borderline dangerous. It is a hard season of life, yet after this warning, after reading the suffering for his namesake, reading what Paul had to, Saul had to go through, Two students at the end of that night come up and give their lives to Christ. Right? 
Two students said, I, I see it's going to be hard, but I want, I want that because it's worth it. So the question I, I, I would ask myself, the question I asked, I'm like, I'm reading this. What was it that Saul saw? What was it that made him stop persecuting followers of the way and actually becoming a follower of the way? And our own standards, we read that and that's tough. That's a tough life. Let me tell you what Saul, Saul says when he's Paul later on. Philippians 3.8, he says this. What is more, I consider everything loss because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them garbage that I might just gain Christ. A man who has everything, he just considers garbage so he can gain Christ. The question again is why? Why does he drop everything, every safety, every authority, every power, all of his money, all the things he could do? Why does he drop it all just to follow Jesus? Here's my answer, and I think it's true. Saul is a man who is desiring truth. I think he's a man that pursues truth, and, and you can see his desire to follow scriptures, and he's so, he's so zealous and fervent about his following of the scriptures. And when he meets Jesus, the clear and obvious Messiah of the world, he's like, there's truth. That's what I need. That's what I want. That's what my heart desires. I just want to chase after truth. So when he gets it, when he sees it, when he meets Jesus, he's like, I'm going to drop everything. I'm going to walk away from everything just so I can have Christ, so I can gain Christ. I don't know how often, how many of us are willing to lose everything, everything to gain Christ, to walk away from things that we hold dear, things that we have to be close to in our lives just to have a real encounter with Christ. Following Jesus is hard. And when we do, we're called into action. So there's, this, there's two guys in this story. There's Saul. And then there's Ananias. Ananias is a, a fascinating person in this story. We do see, we see Saul following up. We're talking about release your worship. What do you do when you meet Jesus? You, we see Saul. He's like, okay, blind. He, he doesn't have much of a choice. He's walking blind to Damascus. But we do see him following what God has told him to do. And in, in a few minutes, we're going to look at his response. But I also want to stop. I want to look at Ananias and listen to his wrestling. This is, this is just awesome. His wrestling with God's call in his life. And what he does, does in his obedience. Look at this, number, uh, verse, number 17. Verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose, he was baptized, and he was taking food and he was strengthened. If I'm reading that, I'm struck by two words. Brother Saul. Brother Saul, this is a guy that just moments ago was coming after your family. A guy that was coming to murder or imprison your fellow churchmates, people you love. This is a guy that you were so terrified to confront that you actually have a vision with Jesus and you you wrestle with Jesus about what your calling from him 
is. This is how terrified you are. Yet, yet Ananias, the sweet man, hears God. He gets it. He hears explanation. He's like, okay, I'm just going to go. And he meets him. And, and I can't add anything to the text. I can't put anything more into the text. I believe it's spirit-inspired. So what I have is this. I have a story where I don't really see Saul repenting to Ananias. I don't see any evidence here that, that at this point, and maybe he does, but I don't see him begging for forgiveness from Ananias or trying to justify his position. I don't hear him confessing these sins to Ananias or apologizing for what he's done to his family. What I do see and what I do know is Ananias has a role given by God and regardless of what Saul does, regardless even if he murders him, I don't know, Ananias just walks in, he puts his hand on him and he says, brother, brother, because, because Jesus sees Saul as a son, so Ananias sees him as a brother. That is awesome. That, to me, I, I don't know how I would interact if I was Ananias. I don't know if I would begrudgingly go in and do it, but he walks in, he puts his hand on a man who is broken and blind and sinful, and he says, brother. And he just starts to cover him in prayer. This is not easy. In fact, you might be surprised to know that there are conflict inside of a youth population at times. And there's people in our church, if you're, if you're a student or if you're an adult, that you don't want to recognize as brothers or sisters. There are people that you will wrestle to recognize as brothers or sisters in this church. And there are fights and there are hurts and angers that have divided us and we don't want to see each other as brothers or sisters in a church. And maybe in your homes, maybe Thanksgiving is really tough. Maybe in our schools for our students or maybe in our church or in our ministries. There are sins of other people. There are lifestyles. There are character traits. There are personalities, differences, quirks, oddities, whatever it is. They limit our ability to see others in this space as our brother and sister. And yet no one here is trying to kill you. No one here has papers permitting it. But I just see the sweetness of Ananias responding to God. He's worshiping God by doing what he's called to do. There's almost a simplicity here. There's like just, just worshiping God, but doing what we're called to do. See, he hears God. He knows God. He knows that, he knows that God has a very significant special plan because God tells him in his word to him that he has a very specific plan, but what he does is impossible. So church, if we paused here, if we stopped, if we just sought our own hearts, and please, one of the, one of the things I try to remind my students is please don't look at everybody else. Don't apply this to everybody else. Don't think of how much somebody you know just needs to hear this and how much they should be changed. Stop and pause. Think on our own heart for a second and think, man, God, where do I need to see somebody in my life as a brother? Where do I need to see somebody as a sister? Where do I need to lay hands? Where do I need to pray and cover them? Because I'm sure it was hard for him. Maybe we... God, if we could have a response like Ananias, we would respond to God's word. And here's what's sweet. He, he actually has God's word where he tells him what to do. Just, just an update. We actually have God's word and what God tells us what to do. It's all throughout scripture. Second person in this, in this account is we have Saul. We have Saul meeting Jesus and, 
And he does repent and turn the other way. We can see that because he is now following the word of God. He follows his instructions on what to do. He receives the Holy Spirit. He gets baptized right away. So we have this deeply sinful man who is now forgiven, restored, saved, redeemed. But now what? And that's my question, church. Is that my question is, if you're claiming Christ, you're claiming Christ follower, the question is, now what? We're seeing all these stories of what people do. Now what? What is it in your life that we got to do? So look, look at this, 19 to 22. Let's look at his now what? For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately, there's so many times the word immediately is used here. Immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying he is the son of God and all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who just made havoc in Jerusalem who, who called upon for everyone who called upon his name and has not come here for the purpose to bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. There's so much in this, in this little bit here. I, I love the fact that like, his immediate response was to proclaim who Jesus was. He immediately responds, well, I'm going to proclaim who Jesus was. He doesn't run back to Jerusalem. He doesn't spend some time. He gets, he gets immediately over to the synagogue in Damascus where he's going to get rid of these people, he goes there and starts telling all the people in his circle of life, all the Pharisees at the synagogue, all the Jews, who Jesus is. He immediately starts to release all the things of this world, all the things that are going to, he, he's going to get hit by this. He goes straight to the synagogue and he starts preaching the good news of Jesus. And this is Saul. So he's like really well versed in the Old Testament, really well versed in the scriptures. He knew it very well. And he had zero relationship with God. He comes, he meets Jesus, everything changes. He drops all the garments of his religious past and he starts preaching boldly that Jesus is the Christ. You actually have a gift or something that God has given you. For, for Saul, it was this like incredible gift of knowledge. And he uses it to start a revolution for Jesus. It's actually still continuing today. I love 22, it says this, he was confounding the Jews in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. How did he prove that Jesus was the Christ? He took his use of the scriptures, use that he already had, knowledge he already had, but was blind to. He's using it, the Old Testament, to prove the Messiah has come. He's using his knowledge, what he was given by God, to prove it. Following Jesus is hard. We've been called to action. We've also been given a gift to use. It says immediately in chapter, in verse 20, if you have a little Highlighter, I would say circle that. Immediately. All these accounts, there's this word of immediacy. Immediately, the woman who bled proclaimed that Jesus Christ, what he had done. Bart the blind immediately followed Christ. The woman who was bent over from an evil spirit straightens up and immediately praises God. I mean, God comes into Saul's life, removes his sin and his transgressions and his results are immediately. Are our results immediate? If I'm going to answer it, my mind would be probably not. For me, I'm not answering for you. I ask our students every Wednesday, hey, have you released your worship this week? Is there a story? The mic's open, come up front and tell your stories. And week after week, we'll have a couple people come up for stories. And my challenge was it should be weekly. All of us have a story about what God has done and how we released our worship that week, what God has called us to do, the action that we've had to do, the difficult things we've had to do, the things in our lives we've put aside, the pride that we've had to lay down, 
There should be a weekly or a daily or an hourly immediate release of our worship when we recognize who God is and what he has done. Immediately, he begins to preach the gospel until the day he dies. All the things, I said this last week, that song, because I love it, turn your eyes upon Jesus, all the things of this world, they go strangely dim. That means his wealth and his treasures just became meaningless to Saul. His pride and who he is and what he's done just became meaningless. His bitterness and his anger towards those who have come against him is just meaningless now. He just has a job. He has a role to do, so he chases and pursues Jesus. Saul puts all aside for the sake of the gospel. And here's, here's something else fascinating. Um, Saul has two names because of who he is, because back then some people had two names. Um, he has his Roman name and he has his Jewish name. His Jewish name would have been Saul. And that would have given him a lot of authority where he was, but he sets that aside and picks up his Roman name, Paul, because he was now a missionary to the Gentiles. He pulls out his Roman name, and most of the time, most of us know him by Paul because his ministry was to the Gentiles. And you see him set aside that which had probably the most value in his life. He pick up, picks up his Roman name, which is his mission. We've all been given something. I wonder what it is that you might have to put aside, what it is you might have to pick up. What gifts do you have that would help you access the world around you for Christ? What has God, what has God given you? What is your Roman name that you could pick up? If you know Jesus and if you've experienced Jesus, the question we have to ask is, what is our response? Um, yeah, my, just, just uh, like a, a personal, uh, my father is just going through a rough season in his life. He has MS, and, and lately he has had his throat closed up so he can't swallow or drink, and he's unable to eat since last Wednesday and went to the hospital. And we were video, videoing, all my siblings were there, but I was unable to be there, and just watching a deep joy. I was like, man, when God pulls away your ability, and he puts you in a place and I love seeing, like, my mom was like, I'm just, I hear someone laughing and laughing down the hallway with the porter and the other people. And it's just my dad interacting with joy. He loves Jesus. Just sharing Jesus through joy in a time where he's, he's unable to drink, unable to eat, unable to feel good or comfortable. He has so much joy in his life. And it's not because he can't drink or eat. It's because of the sweetness of God. It's recognizing God, and the immediacy of my dad's response to Jesus is I need to show joy in a place where there's very little hope. And I love being able to watch, watch my father, a man I just love and cherish, in the weakest moments of his life, be so strong in how he responds. Following Jesus is tough. We will suffer for his name's sake the products of a dying sinful world, but we are also allowing God to come in and change things in our life. To reshape, reorganize the way we do things, the way we wanted to do things, the way we saw things, the way we pursued things for the sake of Christ. Things are going to be different. They're going to change. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. See, Ananias took huge risks. He suffered, sacrificed his own pride, his own bitterness, where are you this morning? Are you struggling with that? 
Are you struggling to sacrifice your own pride, your own bitterness? Are you able to, to look at someone that God has called you to look at, to pursue someone God has called you to pursue and say, brother, I love you. Sister, I love you. I want to pray with you. Maybe it's actual family members, brothers and sisters in your own home. For the sake of Christ, are we willing to pursue in love? Now, Paul lost everything for the sake of Christ. Are the things you're holding on to, is there pride or money or wealth or greed or your sin, whatever you wrestle with, is it something you're holding on to that because of Christ you need to release and run from? I would be remiss to ask you this question if I didn't ask you this. Do you know Jesus this morning? I'll tell you honestly, Wednesday was, it was a tough day. It was really tough. I just had a really bad day. Here's the honest part. I wanted to not go do youth. I was, it was like six o'clock and I just was, I was going to talk to one of my leaders and say, I got to go. My heart is heavy. Things at home are bad. Things at here are tough. I just did not want to be there. Maybe you've been there in life. Kai came at like six and he's like, man, I just, I just wanted to pray with you. I didn't even want to come in and ask you, but I see you're sitting with students. I just, can I pull you aside? Can I pray with you? So we prayed. I just felt like God saying, stick this one out. And I felt underprepared walking through this, through this message, not, not really understanding what God's going to do. And just the idea that in my own failure, in my own weakness, in my own inability, that God would come and say, I want you to speak this and preach this because I got two students here that need to hear Jesus, need to hear how hard it's going to be, need to hear how much truth there is in Christ, and they're going to sacrifice everything. They're going to come to a saving knowledge. That's really tough. Felt really guilty, actually. But then I was reminded that in my weakness, his power is made perfect. It's so little to do about me, so much to do about God. You, church, we are called to speak the truth even when we're tired, even when our hearts are heavy, even when we're sick. Speak the truth, preach the truth. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, let me ask you this. What do you need from him? Because you can call out to God and say, hey, give me more of you. I want to see you. Maybe... Maybe this is that road to Damascus experience where, where you're hearing about Jesus for the first time. You're hearing what he can do and why would he change someone's life so dramatically? Why would that person pursue him so incredibly? What is going on in my life? I need more of this. Maybe you need to come do that. Today we can meet you at the front and we can walk you through this process of salvation. Maybe you get to know Jesus for the first time right now. Maybe your life changes and all the things you pursued are going to go away for the greater hope of eternity that will never fail, that will never fall of a Jesus that will love you endlessly. Maybe that's you. Maybe we can come and talk. Maybe you have to realize that there is sin in your life and you need to separate yourself from the sin in your life. And you can't. You've tried and you can't and you've tried. I'm telling you this morning, it's Jesus Christ who will and can redeem you, restore you, and purchase you, purchase your debt, give you a hope that is everlasting. You're going to sing. Church, if you can stand with me as we pray. God, I thank you that I have my own story of death to life or maybe my own story of Saul to Paul. There's so many stories, so many testimonies in this one room of how you came and, and you pursued and you called and then you changed a life and you restored a life and then you, you ended it with this. Now you've got to go. You've got to go do something for me. You've got to do what I've called you to do. I pray we don't miss the stories in this. There's so many things that are happening here. There, there's a life that's being changed, a life of pride and, and pursuit. But Jesus, you come and you change it. Then the second one is there is a call, there is a response. I pray we don't miss the response. There's a response to love endlessly, to forgive 
There's a response to pursue Jesus, to speak immediately, to go to the synagogues and just start preaching the gospel and proving who Jesus is. God, I pray we don't walk here empty-handed. We don't walk here like we walked in. Please help us to be changed. Please help us to be moved. Help us to, to love you more and know you more as we leave this than when we came in. God, as we sing, may our hearts be so full that we can't hold back the words. As, our, as we sing, may our hearts be so overjoyed and overwhelmed by the salvation we've received from you. God, that we are drawn to you more than we ever were. We love you. We're thankful for you. Jesus, meet with us. Be with us here as we sing. In your perfect and holy name. Amen.